Welcome to the Author Life Podcast. I am here with a special guest, and I have an inkling of when this will air, which will be a few weeks after we record, but not a certainty, so I can't even tell people when it is and what's going on, but I would like to offer a warm welcome to my dear friend, Jeff Elkins, the Dialogue I'm Jay Thorne. (laughs) (laughs) It would be really hard for you to imitate Jay Thorne. Uh, well, I'm, a ter- I'm terrible wise. at invitations, so it wouldn't work at all. And the personalities but, yeah. are not very similar. Yeah. <laughs> but you were introducing the podcast, and I just thought, well, this is where Jay usually speaks. Yeah, yeah anyway. Jay <laughs> excellent, excellent. I told you that we would have a, a very boring question to start us off so that we could go off the rails from there. But then as the evening got later and my brain shuts off, I came up with a better question to start off off right off the rails. And it's this. So first of all, if you're not familiar with Jeff, the dialogue doctor, his specialty is editing with dialogue. He works his day job with dialogue, training AI voice or AI scripts. What exactly? Yeah, we we build uh, training simulations that train people in difficult conversations. Excellent. Yeah, that's the nice tagline. So I replicate difficult conversations for a living. And that has grown into writing difficult conversations engagingly. That's right. um, For fun and profit. (laughs) (laughs) More fun than profit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Profit someday. Come on, profit. Profit. (laughs) I will decrease the fun and increase the profit at any moment. No, don't do that. I've been there. Keep the fun. The fun's worth more. No, I got kids in college. Bring on the profit. <laughs> Bring me the profit. Make those I'm kids start working. That's, That's right. why you had so many of them. That's right. One of them's got to pay out. I was teasing them a couple of weeks ago. There were four of them sitting at the table and I was like, they were all kind of staring at each other because they're all tired. And I looked at him, I was like, y'all trying to figure out which one of you actually gets to go to college, aren't you? I always had this thought. I was like, I need to like have one kid to be a doctor, one kid to be a masseuse, one kid to be a chiropractor. I was like, how many kids do I need to like populate yeah, don't, my self-care? Don't forget that kid. I've been watching the uh, Peacock show, or I guess it's a Paramount show, Yellowstone. Mm. And I definitely need a kid to own a ranch in Montana. I need, I need a kid to do that. So add that kid into the list of kids that do things yeah you could even have a cousin depending i don't know how many nieces and nephews you have but we can spread out the spread out the responsibilities yeah 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 yeah. i just i need a kid to run like a resort in the mountains so Mm -hmm. that when i feel like it i can just go there yeah exactly that's my goal this is how i feel as well this is the goal i need a doctor a masseuse but i ended up with one kid who's adhd af who i doubt will go to college he might do all of those at least 25 (laughs) So we'll see how things work out. Yeah. As a ADD kid, I can say that it is a superpower. So he might do all of those things at once. That would be impressive and probably burn a building down. But all right. My question for you to this. um, Hit hit me. I'm ready. Off the rails. I got my my fidget cube. I'm ready to go. Excellent. So has digging so deep into dialogue or how has digging so deep in dialogue changed how you enjoy books and movies that's a good question first it wrecked it mm-hmm. if i can say that it's like the first time you read save the cat and then you're like oh crap like i don't i can't watch any of these first it wrecked it because i was real quick to 
pick out when it's not great. And when I used to like shuffle that off is like, oh, I don't really know what's not clicking, but something about the show is not clicking, but I can excuse mm-hmm. it. Now, if the dialogue's bad, I can't. I'm like, I know what it is now. I'm like, oh, there's, I know what that problem is. It's ruined it for books for me. I really have to work hard to read books that are a lot of prose. So like I had to, I was reading P.D. James's Children of Men recently for a book club that I'm a part of that one of my old professors from college put together and I love him and will do anything to hang out with him. So I will power through P.D. James, but it's like, man. It's a lot of prose. There's whole chapters that are just like journal entries in first person. And it's, it's a lot. And yeah, it makes it really hard to read. Now that I know that impact of prose, I used to just be like, huh, I'm not really digging this book. And I'd put it down and then try to go back to it and put it down and go back to it. But now that I've really spent time trying to figure it out, it's wrecked some books for me. On the other side, I've really come to love recently well-constructed casts. So mm-hmm. I've really come to love like a cast that has complementing and contrasting personalities. Like I just mentioned Yellowstone. There's some, I watch it for the characters. There's some amazing characters in that show and they really do weave together in very fascinating ways. So that'll pull me into something when I'm like, and it doesn't really matter the genre or the like that's probably where it's freed me a lot is I used to read a lot of legal thrillers because I grew up reading John Grisham so and I grew up reading Clancy so that was just kind of my wheelhouse so it used to be that like my go-to night read was like a Lee Child whatever Robert Patterson like latest thing off the shelf really getting into dialogue long before the dialogue doctor like this probably started about 10 years ago when I first started writing nine years ago when I first started writing really starting to like appreciate the craft of writing and really focusing in on like how do I write these characters opened up any genre for me like I can fall in love with a romance with a with a a sci-fi like I read in I read an Andy Weir book and I don't like sci-fi at all but the characters are so great like it just that one project Hail Mary yeah yeah Yeah. the, the Rocky and I can't remember the lead character's name but they were so compelling and their conversations are so great that like i'm in so mm-hmm. it's just made me see books differently yeah it kind of reminds me of i played a ton of sports when i was younger and it reminded me of like when you get to a certain level in a sport you watch it differently you like you just see what's happening differently like i played a fairly high level of football not super high but high enough to understand the game on a little bit different level and watching football in some ways became way less fun because it was just more it was more like watching chess than it was like watching something i i like was passionate about and then not to mention the fact that i knew a bunch of people that got hurt so that kind of changed it too but you also appreciate things differently so i think that's how i would describe my reading now is that i just i i appreciate things differently makes it weird to recommend books to people though because you recommend a book you're like oh my gosh this is amazing and they read it and they're like what are you talking about i'm like the way those characters interact isn't it great and they're like there's no plot i'm like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter (laughs) yeah Yeah, i've found that i definitely went through that super dissective phase as well in my writing journey and it made where I just couldn't enjoy anything right couldn't enjoy it for the bits that were good because all I could see were the bits that were bad but I now 
have the ability most of the time, depending on where my brain is, where I approach most media with that particular bit turned off. Like the, like, I will judge this as like, I have, I I figured out how to subconsciously switch between my writer editor brain and my reader brain. So when I go to something, I'm like, is this fun? Cool. I'll stick with it. Even if it's (laughs) like, if, if it's not so terrible that it's like making me angry, yeah. We're good to go. And yeah. it's, but I will find that, I don't know. I, I'm trying to, trying to think like where this specific is. I have a very distinct memory of watching the second frozen a year or two ago, whenever it came out. And Who knows? I was watching, it was sometime before COVID, which is just a dark or pit. Within, of, I think it was within COVID. Was it within COVID? Yeah, I don't I, know. COVID it might have come out right before. <laughs> it might have come out right before, but I watched it within, I think. But I was watching it with uh, my roommate, Priscilla. Uh, she wasn't my roommate at the time. And I was telling her what was going to happen in the movie. And she's like, how do you know all this? And you know how that you have that experience with people who aren't oh, yeah. story nerds. And yeah. you're like, it's absolutely clear. It, and it doesn't ruin yeah. my enjoyment that I know what's going to happen. As if they're putting other unique like images or like quips in there, yeah. like they keep the, the characters or the phrasing interesting. The story can play out just as I expected and I will be a happy camper. <laughs> Yeah, now I do get mad if it doesn't pay off. I get angry oh, for sure. if it doesn't pay off. If you like, if you're telling a story, and I catch you, like I catch what you're doing. If I'm like, oh, okay, this is the direction that character is going to grow. I'm super happy to be surprised. But if you don't follow mm-hmm. through, I just yes. get mad. Yes, <laughs> I, I would angry. agree with that. Yeah. Just get mad about it. I can't believe you didn't follow through on that. You can um, make it better, but you can't not deliver. That's right. You got to pay off. And it, I do find that, especially with character traits, the old rule about if I see a gun in the first act, somebody better die in the third. <laughs> like, it's so true of character things, dude. If I see a character flaw in the first, if you emphasize a character flaw in act one, we better be dealing with that in act two and three. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I better see it. I better see that character start to mature. And so when they don't, I start getting really mad. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, yeah a, I'm, I'm thinking. It's a good question. It's a good question. Two, I'm thinking of two TV shows that like nailed character in suspense in the first season. And then season two was meh. And then th- season three just mm-hmm. jumped the shark. The first being Heroes. One oh, was amazing. Like they really nailed those characters. And then they let yeah. the character consistency go as they moved mm-hmm. forward, as they were trying to figure out what was going on in the world. Cause I don't think they really knew. And that's funny you say that. Cause that came out before I was running. I didn't, I remember watching season two and being like, ah, I think I'm done. But I couldn't at the time have told you why. Yeah. But yeah. The other one is, am I going to remember what it's called? It's a Canadian sci-fi show. And it's six characters who all wake up with amnesia. And they're trying to figure out what, what's going on. And the layers of secrets that show puts in place in the first season. And they realize that they were, they all have like backup personalities stored so they're building these personalities from the point of amnesia but then they realize they have backup personalities stored which are who are completely different people that they don't know if they want to be season one is great season two met and then again season three completely jumped it but like what you said with the the cast of characters and having a really Mm -hmm. engaging cast of characters yeah i really like that that's one of my frustrations i think with writing romance is that so much of the time is spent with just those two main characters 
that you don't get to explore all of the fun with other characters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm a sucker for a big group of friends. I read the books, The Magicians, and then watched the series that came mm-hmm. out. And that's like a prime example. I don't care what they're doing. I'll watch these people just hang out. It's not all of them. Some of them really made me mad. But Elliot and Margot, all day. I will watch. That was their names on the show, not in the book. But I would watch Elliot and Margot for like weeks at a time. <clears throat> the main character, Quentin, I could do without him. But Elliot and Margot, all day. And Josh, yeah, I could have. Yeah, but just compelling characters that have repartee is that the right word yeah i'm in for them all the time so what would be one of your favorite stories right now that you've consumed in the last year-ish of this adventure i gotta look at my bookcase yep there's a couple i keep coming back to uh, a man called ove i keep coming back to that was a great one i read that a year ago and I find myself coming back to it. You and I have talked about the house in the Cerulean Sea. Mm-hmm. That was a great one. I keep coming back to that one. I'm trying to think if there's others that have really, there's some that I've really hated. But yeah, yeah, I think those two are the ones that have really stuck out. I'm trying to think. I reread Beloved a year ago. And it was the first Tony time I'd read Morrison, it. Yeah. Yeah, it's the first time I'd read it as a writer. Yeah. And that was a different experience, reading that as a writer. Because it's just, I enjoyed the story in high school when I read it, but seeing it as a writer, you're just like, damn. It's woman, still one I have to fight. read, but we have talked oh, about it, and I'm like, yeah. I know I need to be in the right emotional space for that. Book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gird, gird your loins before you go into that one, because that one's coming at you. But yeah, I guess those are the four that like have really stuck with me. And I read, I don't read fast. I read like a book a month. I'm not a fast reader. Just don't have a lot of time. There's I'm getting several... up at 5 a.m. to I know to go lift weights with my teenager. Yeah, four hours uh, of basketball uh, recording. Yeah. So yeah, you and I were t- before we hit record. Yeah. You and I were talking about all the nonsense I have to do with my teenagers now. But yeah, so it's I don't know. I I have picked up a lot of books and not gotten very far mm-hmm. and putting them down. I do that. I do not tolerate like books that don't stick with me. Yeah, I'm very um, pro not finishing. We only have a limited amount of time in this world. Yeah, I don't have time for that stuff. I've read a couple nonfiction books this year that I really liked because of the casting. So like Michael Lewis does a great job at this. And he wrote one about the government bureaucracy. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head that I just loved. It's like about all the hidden corners of government bureaucracy that you don't know is happening. And he just takes you through person after person and talks to you about what their role is and who they are and how they got to where they are and what drives them and it's a great and then he wrote i went back and read his first one which is about wall street in the 80s and he walks you through everybody at lehman and Sachs in the 80s and all of the huge personalities and the big people and it's just a character study like every chapter is a character study on a new person fascinating i loved that one that was really interesting because that's a world I don't really understand. I don't understand the world of finance and like moving other people's money around. That's like a, that's a weird, that's a sci-fi world to me. So it was interesting. To, it was really interesting to see an insider because at the time he worked for them. So it was interesting to see an insider's take on, hey, here's who these people are. That wasn't the Wolf of Wall Street. That wasn't the like mm-hmm. caricature of we're all doing coke off of each other's you know arms and you know screaming at the top of our lungs it was really like these are who these people are and this is how they make this is why they manage risk the way they do and 
how they run their lives. And it was just fascinating. Like he talked about, this was way before the mortgage crisis, but he goes into like the home lenders at this, that kind of set the seeds for the mortgage crisis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he talks about how they're all like super overweight because they like the first one was, and then he starts hiring other people that kind of match his like big Italian angry personality. And so you've got this, this group of men that are just these like big Italian men yelling and cussing at everybody all the time, creating the mortgage loan industry. Like it's just a fascinating. So yeah, that was a good one. That was by Michael Lewis was a really good one because of the characters in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I don't think I can think of another one. I think that's it. Those that are the good ones that I've read. Sounds wild. The one about the bureaucracy sounds like it would also be very depressing when you like are mm. thinking about the reality of it. Yeah, he wrote it during the Trump administration mm-hmm. because there was a big thing in the primaries about shutting down the Department of Energy. He tells this story at the first of the book that like the Republican candidates were talking about, we don't need the Department of Energy. And Michael Lewis was like, I don't even know what that department does. So he like walked in and he's like, what do you guys do? And they're like, oh, we're nuclear physicists. And he's like, really? And they're like, yeah, we're all nuclear. Like everybody that works in here is a nuclear physicist. And he's like, I have to get into these places. I don't know who these people are. So amazing. he just starts exploring like all the weird corners of our federal bureaucracy that nobody looks at. And the people that work, and it's a really charming take on like hey these are the people that like make the world happen that we don't pay they just go to work every day we don't pay any attention to them but they're actually like really talented people that make this world go so it's an interesting yeah and i think talking about like dialogue and nonfiction, if you're writing a memoir or you're writing nonfiction, lewis is a great one to read he wrote moneyball Mm-hmm. He wrote one about the founding of personality tests, which is another, I mean, that one, it goes back to post-World War II Israel and the building of the Israeli army and how these two social scientists need to sort people that are being conscripted into the army into jobs, like who's going to make a good paratrooper and who's, who needs to be behind a desk. And so they invent personality tests. Like, it's just the most fascinating. And so, so I feel like if you write why apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic dystopian fiction, you need to read that. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a page turner. Like Lewis's books aren't page turners. They're yeah, yeah. just amazing Information though. Yeah. yeah, but if you're writing memoir or nonfiction and you want to know like, God, I get that question a lot. Like, how do I incorporate dialogue into nonfiction? Go read a Michael Lewis book. Because mm-hmm. they're, even though they're nonfiction, they're like 50% dialogue. Um, because he just, what he does is he takes pull quotes from people. So he'll be describing somebody and he'll describe the circumstances they're in. And then he'll use a big pull quote from that person. And then he, and the pull quote is always an example of how the person sounds and how they talk in the world. And it runs about 50-50, like 50% description, 50% pull quote. So he's doing dialogue in an interesting way in that they're not necessarily a conversation. It's not like people going back and forth, but it, it sometimes he does. Sometimes he'll capture a whole conversation, but other times he'll. it's almost like that person's dialogue is representative of what you would hear if you were standing in front of that person yeah and so he catches the engagement of dialogue which 
part of what we love about dialogue is that it speaks to us about who a person is. If we listen to somebody, we feel like we get to know them. So he's pulling that element into his nonfiction. It's really impressive. I haven't read a lot of nonfiction people that can do that. I was reading The Power Broker. Oh man, what's the name of that dude? It's a giant, it's a freaking enormous book. Robert something it'll come to me in a second I'm actually gonna look it up I was reading that one and he does it too he has he's it's all about the guy who built New York it's about Robert Moses it's about it's by uh, Robert Caro and he does that too he'll have moments where Moses just he'll talk about like how Moses is going out to this place to have this conversation with these landowners whose land he's about to steal so he sets up the conversation and then he tells you what Moses said Mm-hmm. And then he tells you how he summarizes how they respond, but he makes sure to get the quote from Moses in there so you can feel Moses's direct dialogue. It's an it's a really smart way to I think make nonfiction come alive with dialogue, which is um, I find it engaging. I like reading. It, yeah, so. it's far more engaging than just yeah. like this happened in 1963 and then this yeah. happened. Yeah, and I've read a lot of those too that are like just summarizing for me action and even trying to like make it intimate and personal. Mm -hmm. But if you can give me what the people said, there's something about that makes it come to life in a new way. Um, Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we can call this podcast two fiction authors talk about nonfiction. (laughs) Excellent. My question for the listeners who've joined us for this wild rabbit trail show notes say jeff first 10 minutes jeff drones on about weird nonfiction books but my question is going to be how has getting deeper into writing changed their relationship with consuming stories for sure yeah it's a good question i think there's also something about you know i mean there's that phrase great artists steal mm-hmm. we haven't really talked about that but i think that's also something that's changed in the way that I consume stories is I'm constantly looking to thieve things. Like I'm constantly, if I read something I like, I'm like, Ooh, how can I do that? It's this kind of like constant obsession with like, how can I steal that for whatever it is? Steal character dynamics a lot. Oh, all the time. Character Mm -hmm. pairings. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. If there's a good character pairing. Yeah. Like I am still, I am working really hard to write a rocket and Groot pairing from guardians of the galaxy. Because they're just, it's an amazing character pairing. And I'm really, I tried it in my most recent novel and I don't think I pulled it off. So I, I got to try it again. The like brash, ignored, put upon, cynical, angry, foul mouth, rapid talking voice with the stoic, slow, calm, calm joyful friend is something that like I yeah I really want to I really want to push out I have a I have a in my most recent novel I have a character named Popeye and a character named Sexy Tony and I tried to do it with them but I didn't really pull it off Sexy Tony is just gross so he (laughs) (laughs) he's not lovable like Rocket you read Sexy Tony you'll feel dirty um so (laughs) yeah that's uh didn't get it this time maybe next time I'll hit it yeah but yeah, I well, think that's that's also changed as a writer. I read to steal now. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking this time. Yeah, thanks, Chris. This is great. I'll play right. Jay anytime. 
Excellent. <laughs> Jeff is a member of our Author Life community. And also, I want to recommend that you check out uh, his podcast, The Dialogue Doctor, on all your podcast apps. Anywhere servers. you find podcasts, Indeed. I am there skulking in the background waiting to take your time and attention yeah (laughs) and if you (laughs) would maybe not the best sales pitch it's a little stalkery yeah you know it'll appeal to a certain certain uh niche group (laughs) a certain niche group that i don't yeah we won't we won't chase that rabbit (laughs) if you would like to learn more about the author life community you can check us out at www.theauthorlife.com yeah, I'm doing an ask an editor soon. So yeah, you, you got to come join the community so you can ask me weird questions in the uh, <laughs> ask an editor portion of the author life community. They can stalk you back. That's right. <laughs> you can show up and try to make me try to stump me. But yeah, you got to sign up for the community though to do that. You got to come be a part of the community. Otherwise, you don't get to ask an editor. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bye. Chris.